This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And a good Saturday morning to you. Frank Proctor here, sous chef of the garden, sitting beside Charlie in our studios in the Zoomerplex in Liberty Village. On a windy, chilly morning. Yes, and you, you <laughs> didn't check to find out that, that the, uh, the garden was going to be closed today. No, I didn't. Oh, boy. I made it, yeah. though. Yeah, well, we came down. Skin Shirley, of my teeth. <laughs> Shirley and I came down. We are you know, kind of, okay, what do we do? So I, I got to the 401. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go down Avenue Road. And that was a perfect thing. So I really? went west to Avenue Road and then, then down to King Street. And it's over. a scenic route. Yeah, it was quite nice, quite mm. nice. It, well, being a Saturday morning, uh, a heck of a lot better than on a, on a weekday. Ooh, Ooh we yeah. want to try that. Not at all. But it's going to be dicey because that thing is going to be closed, the gardener, all the all way from Carlisle through to 427 all weekend long. Yep. But I think it's a wise thing. They've got 200 people out there mm. you know, doing a slam-bang job, yeah, working overtime. But that's going to be done. Yeah, you know? and that's great. <clears throat> got to get it done. Winter's coming after you all. You got it. Hey, hey, I even wore my winter coat today. Oh, <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> wow. We're, well, I we're dug, that, now. dug uh, that out of the mothballs. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me get the phone numbers right. on the air for folks to give you a call, Charlie, mm-hmm. and ask whatever questions they want mm-hmm. uh, regarding gardening, of course. Okay, here at Toronto, <laughs> call uh, 416 Three six zero zero seven forty. Then anywhere else in the province, it's eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Call early, call often. One question per call. Kind of keep that in mind, folks. We want to get as many people on the air as we can. And if you are a first-time caller, let Sebastian know and. That's what you'll hear before you come on the air. How about nice. that? Nice. I know exactly. So we're happy to hear from people. Speaking of hearing from people, yeah. I had some homework. Yeah, well, that's right. Last week, our final caller on Saturday for the garden show was a gentleman named Ron uh-huh. calling from Niagara Falls. And he was asking about magnolia scale. And I said to him, you know what? You are going to control magnolia scale with dormant oil. Mm-hmm. But I just couldn't remember when. So checked it out. Here's the story. Remember that scale is a little insect that it's very easy to see and actually you can even feel scale because they have a shell and they're called oyster shell little scale. Bumps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're gray, slightly darker than the gray bark of a magnolia. But you will feel them. You will see them when the infestation is bad. It's very obvious. So a low population of scale is controlled by, is usually kept in check by birds, other insects, natural predators. Mm-hmm. But high population of scale may occur if excess nitrogen is available to the plant, so be careful about over-fertilizing, or when the ornamentals are under environmental stress, such as too much or too little water. So remember, when we have drought, like we had this summer, do not let your magnolia suffer in the drought uh, unless you're prepared to accept the infestations Mm. of pests. 
So pruning out severely infested limbs is recommended. Dormant oil or dormant lime sulfur can be used in the spring, usually late April, uh, against the overwintering adult scales. Applications should be made before leaf buds break, so flowers will have finished, leaf leaves will not be open yet, when cold nights are not expected. Applications should also be carried out in the morning, so the spray has a chance to dry quickly. Some ornamentals, such as Japanese maple, sugar maple, white pine and yews, are sensitive to oils and should not be sprayed, so... Be careful when you're of overspray. You don't want to get that overspray on, on any of the other plants. Okay. All right. So there's the there's your answer, Ron. Homework done. And if if I speak too fast and you're not sure and you want to go back and check something, remember podcast. this show is podcast, so we are archived on Zoomer Radio. Uh, just go to the, sh- the Garden Show and pick a date and listen to the full podcast. There you go. Hey, easily done. All right. Do you have um, time for any more? Uh, actually, we're just running. I know. Close really, to really quickly. All right. I brought in those special oh. bulbs that I received. Remember, yeah, we yeah. had Caroline DeVries here. She's yes. the proprietor of Flower Bulbs Are Us. Dot com. Uh, she sent me some allium ornamental onions, yeah. which I planted last weekend, and monster amaryllis. So. Well, when you gave it to Shirley this morning, that <laughs> yeah, it, it looks like a huge turnip. Oh yeah, really. it's I huge. Mean, it's huge. Oh wow, They're, these are like super good. These are very grade triple A yeah. amaryllis. Yeah. You know, I, I can just about guarantee there'll be two, three, who knows how many flower stems yeah. times. How many flowers? So they're going to be very rewarding. Thank you, Caroline, very much. Yes, It was most appreciated. Yeah. And we have other folks, of course, wanting to get on the air to talk to you, including Barbara in St. Catharines, whom we shall go to immediately following these words here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie Dubbin, let's go to St. <laughs> Catharines and have a little visit with Barbara online right now. Hi, good morning, Barbara. Welcome to the show. Good morning, um, Charlie and, and Frank. Hi, you have then. become your regular. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> yes, you're, you're both doing such an amazing job. And whoever does um, your Thank introduction you. with the different flowers... Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. That's beautiful. Thank you. Very welcoming and refreshing. So last week I called about the the grass seeds, Mm -hmm. which I put down. Yes. But the other grass is now growing. My (laughs) question is, Charlie (laughs) and Frank, Mm. can I cut that grass now before winter? Oh, you're going to need to cut your grass before winter because remember, all of us still have to do one, if not several, mowings. We we want to keep our grass, like keep cutting the grass consistently until it stops growing, and that, in based on past experience, is typically mid to late November. Because you know, sure, it's chilly today, but the sun is still you know yep. shining, the soil is still warm, grass is growing. Have your seeds uh, germinated at all? Do you see any that, evidence? That's what I am concerned yeah. about. Will will the cutting harm the seeds in any way? They have not germinated yet. Charlie, no. Okay, so I know it's always a bit challenging when you've, you're just at that point. And do, were you filling in big areas of grass, or were you just uh, th- trying to thicken up the grass? 
most of it is, um, you know, it was so hot and it mm. burnt, and yep. so I had and I pulled weeds. Right. So those patches I filled up with soil. Right. And grass seeds. All right. And then I had a big part. Um, yeah, like maybe about. I'm not very good uh, in measurements, but maybe about. Um, Oh, it doesn't matter how big. the The main thing is, is what, okay. What I would do is, do you have a whipper snipper? Like you have a you have a mower, yes. and then you have yes. an edging machine. Yeah. So what I would do is, I'd use my mower just like you normally would, set where it normally was set all summer, which is three inches high for the cut. Uh, wherever the grass is thick and green and growing long, use your mower. But that area that you've just seeded and nothing is yet growing and it's all looks quite blank, don't run over that area at all. Try and stay uh, off that area. Okay. And if you've got some areas where it's kind of a bit of old grass and a bit of new grass and it's a bit patchy, yeah. use your whippersnipper just to lower the existing grass down a tad well, that's a good idea. to keep it from mm. you know flopping over. Because the, the, you don't want the, the existing grass to get so long that it flops over and it starts shading right. out the area so the little seeds will will not grow. But at the same time, you don't want to be walking on there. You don't want to be rolling the, the lawnmower in there because you start getting all the tracks from the wheels and it messes okay. up your uh, your grade. So it's a bit of a challenging time right now, but you're going to have to just kind of pick your way around with different tools. Okay, and, and then our, we do our final cut. Like I said, once we're cold, cold, final okay. cut, and we'll drop the mower down to about two inches high as opposed to three inches high. Okay. All righty. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I know. Valuable information. Thank you so <laughs> you're, very much. You're uh, welcome. Thanks for calling again, Barbara. Thank you, Barbara, for uh, giving us a ring here on a good-looking Saturday morning, if you like a little. Oh, hey, look. We're getting some uh, blue skies. I know. No, the sun right was now. really peeking out yeah, before. that's great. Don't have to travel too far to our next caller. <laughs> again, from St. Catharines <laughs> this time around, it's Shelly. Good morning, Shelly. Good morning. Good morning. We don't have any blue skies here. It's still gray. Okay. I think it's coming your way because it's very windy, so things are moving fast. <laughs> yes. Well, I was walking the dog this morning, and I saw kind of blue over the lake, so I thought, right, it's coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, my question, Charlie, has to do with cascading begonias. Mm-hmm. Um, I got some, uh, oh, I planted them in, in June, and they've been absolutely gorgeous. So you got tubers? You, yes. you planted tubers? Okay, yeah. But what, <laughs> what do I do with them now for the winter? <laughs> well, uh, you haven't had a frost yet. They probably still look fine, right? Yes, but okay. I brought them inside because we have had some rooftop frost and we have had some ground frost. Okay. Take them back outside. <laughs> you want the, the begonias will need to go dormant for the winter, but you do want to keep them alive, which means that they have to be kept frost-free. But by leave them outside for now, uh, eventually they will get frosted enough that the leaves will just, the, the stems and leaves will just collapse and turn to mush right before your very eyes. Okay. At that point, uh, you will cut off the foliage and the stems and everything else, stick that in the composter. The easiest thing to do is just take that pot, maybe put it in a shed or a garage for a couple of days just to dry down the pot because you don't want there to be a lot of moisture in that pot. And then bring the pot into a frost-free environment, preferably cool, preferably dark, for the entire winter. 
So would like a, um, what do you call it, like a, a cabinet in the garage be good then for the, the darkness? Yes, it would, except depending on your garage. I If it's a cold, cold winter, things freeze in my garage. Yes, I, I have too. I have killed bulbs by trying to overwinter <laughs> them in the garage. So if you don't want to risk losing them, I probably wouldn't recommend the garage. Can you, do you have a, you don't have a root cellar or a cold room or a... I have a cold room, but it doesn't get below... 60. Oh, that's fine. No, no, that's perfect. They'll oh. stay dormant at 60. Just And you can put the whole thing into a big paper bag or a green garbage bag, but I wouldn't tie it up too tight. The main thing is you want to keep it dark, keep it cool, and then you'll bring your pot out in, you know, probably early April and start watering it, put it in a sunny windowsill, and the little bulbs will start to grow again. So I put so I don't take the the tuber out of the soil at all. Then I leave everything in the in the pot. To make it simple, I'd leave it in the pot. You can take it out of the pot, but why bother? You're just going to end up putting it back in a pot, right? <laughs> so it does work quite well to leave it in the pot. Just make sure that it's not a saturated. The soil is not super saturated. Make sure it's dried down before you get it into the cool and the dark. Okay. okay so is it better for it to be like dry, dry, or have some moisture in there? Uh, well, you actually, yeah, it's a good question. You actually want a little bit of moisture in there, but not much. And you will check. Do check that pot every now and then, you know, every three, four weeks during the winter. You, you want it, the, the bulbs to not all shrivel up and turn to dust, but you don't want them to rot either. So there's a fine line between too much and not enough moisture. So if I had to water it, would it be better to water it from the bottom or water it on the top, like you, around the tuber. Yeah, you would water from the top because it, there'd be there's no absorption from the bottom by the bulbs. Okay. Uh, a certain amount of water will go up into the pot just through capillary action, but it would not be absorbed by the plant. So the soil only only barely barely moist. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. I don't want to lose them. They were just so gorgeous. Oh, they're great. Yeah. No. Yeah. Good idea. Keep them. Great. Shelley. Thanks for calling. Thank you for checking in with us here on The Garden Show. Matter of fact, we've got a first-time caller waiting online. Rick, we're going to come to you very shortly. Uh, but first, we have to take a little bit of a break here. I'll let you know at the same time, we do have one line open, uh, 416-360-0740, or anywhere in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And while we take a little bit of a break... Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And the sous chef of the garden, yours truly, mm, Frank Parker. Get that arm going. Yeah, all righty, here we go. Yeah. That's, that's for Rick in West Lincoln in well, the Niagara area. Well, Hi, Rick. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I go ahead. Two, I have two you plants in front of the house, mm-hmm. and I'd like to reduce their size uh, drastically. Mm-hmm. The larger one is about seven to eight feet in diameter and about four feet high, including, you know, the new growth. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, what is the best time of the year to cut them back? And uh, should I give them a good supply of water before or supply of water after? Hmm. This is a good question. Definitely all of our evergreens need a good supply of water as we go into winter. So as the ground is cooling off and eventually the ground is going to freeze, we want to make sure that it's, it's like an ice cube when it freezes. All of our evergreens need to be, the roots need to be surrounded by water uh, as winter comes on. 
best time to do a radical and hard pruning of your ewes is when they are actively growing. So that's in your area likely, might be late May, might be mid-June, that kind of time frame. So mid to late spring, you can be quite dramatic with ewes. They're very forgiving uh, and will pump, pump out all kinds of new growth after you've done your pruning. Just make sure your tools are sharp, your, your cuts are clean. Uh, if you're doing any kind of stem cutting or branch cutting, make sure everything's on a bit of an angle just so that you don't have perfectly flat cuts that will catch dew and rain and yeah. contribute to rot in the stems. But, okay. but they are quite, and at the same time, fertilize, or just prior to. Fertilizer is a great idea uh, for all of our garden plants in the spring. So when you're doing a big pruning like that, main thing is get some fertilizer on, uh, like an evergreen food, and <clears throat> encourage that new growth uh, to fill in and cover all your cuts. Okay, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks, Thanks for calling. First time caller, yeah. don't be a stranger. The door is always open. And the now, coffee's right? always you on. You got it. <laughs> hey, there, there's John in Mississauga. Good morning, John. Good morning, Frank. Good, Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, familiar John in Mississauga. Well, I I've been I listen to you every week. I don't have to tell you that. I but know. Last week I heard you saying something about geraniums. Yeah. But when I called back to make sure that... Uh, I understand what's going on. I couldn't get through. But mm. I tell you, this year, no apples, no fruit, nothing, none whatsoever. But um, the geraniums are fantastic. Yes, true. The, um, the and I've never done this before in, in, in my whole life. But um, how can I present? Because I like to keep them for next year. Mm-hmm. My wife doesn't agree with me. But <laughs> again, you know, what do I agree with? All right. So... <clears throat> Uh, remind me, you probably have a cantina at your place, right? A, a cool room, a root cellar. Well, unfortunately, I don't. But if I need a cantina, then I'll tr- I, I maybe I'll give it to uh, my daughter so she can keep it up for me. Okay. So the trick with geraniums is there's two ways to overwinter them, and we did we did get a call last week from v- from Verna. Yes, and then you I'm, did. Yes. And I'm trying to remember because somebody called shortly after Verna and gave us the way she keeps her geraniums and it works like a charm but two ways as far as I'm concerned one is keep your geraniums actively growing have them in a pot good potting soil in the house full sun windowsill water as required Uh, they will continue to perk along all winter giving you flowers on occasion and being a house plant basically for the winter Uh, but I have so many (laughs) exactly so if you don't have at least at least 15, 16? Yeah. So if you have oh. so many plants and you just have yeah. don't have unlimited space for them, you need to build a greenhouse, I think, John. Oh, uh, maybe I should. <laughs> That's all I need. Yeah, so, so what some people will do is they, they will um, keep them in a semi-dormant state. So that's where you allow the geraniums to dry down. You can... Do a couple of things, but the traditional method is you take the plants out of the ground. Okay. Now, you wash the soil off the roots. Wash, yes. uh, Turn them upside down. Hang them in a dark, cool location, Uh preferably in the basement, Mm -hmm. where there's some humidity because you don't want it to be bone dry. You need a relative humidity of, you know, 30 40% if you can. Okay. You need it cool, so, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 sort of degrees Celsius. And dark most of the time. And the plants will just hang there uh, and they'll, they'll get a little bit wrinkled and, you know, 
shrink a bit because they're going to lose some moisture, but you don't want them to just dry up to dust. That's mm-hmm. where that a little bit of humidity and coolness comes in. If they're big, Charlie, shall I trim them sort of to a small, smaller size? Because yeah. I'll tell you, some of them are, believe me, yeah. 18 inches, yeah. you know. And the, like I said, right now we have so many flowers. Oh, I know. They're great. It's great. Yeah. yeah well, they I mean, are great. I mean, the other thing you could do is when you're doing that trimming, because you're going to end up trimming some roots as well when you bring them up, uh-huh. uh, would be keep some of those cuttings and see if you can root some of those cuttings uh, just in, uh, you know, a pot of, salt, pot of um, sand or perlite or vermiculite uh-huh. uh, and get some very small plants started now because uh, okay. rather than just composting those trimmings, see if maybe you can get those growing, unless, it's, again, it's just a space situation. Yeah. But, yep, they're, geraniums, it's a great year for geraniums, and be prepared next year is going to be a great year for fruits. Yeah. Well, you, I hope so. Yeah, it's be, a, believe me, not like, uh, if I have the fruit, Charlie, I'll promise you, I, I, don't, I mean, I live in Mississauga, mm-hmm. as you know, but I, uh, you know, I have to find out where the village is. Yeah, we're going to get you <laughs> in I, here. I promise you, if I have that bombanella, yeah. I, want, I, I bring to you and, and to Frank, yeah, I, I and you tell me what you think. Taste those, for <laughs> sure. That Wait, sounds like a good well, deal to me. Well, and you, there's two yeah. things going on, John. Remember, we had a good crop last year. So a lot of the fruit trees tend to bear heavily every second year. And the addition to that is that whenever we have a really dry summer, summer and fall, the following year we tend to have a big fruit crop. Uh, so that there's lots of plan for lots of flowering in your fruit trees next spring. All right. Thanks for calling in, John. Always a pleasure to get you on the air and have a chat and keep up to speed with what you're up to. I know, and I do. I want to taste a bambanella. Oh, man, yeah. Mm. Hey, we've got another first-time caller here. Wait a minute. Oh, your arm's getting a workout today. Welcome. Steve Steve in Burlington. Good morning. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Good morning, uh, Charlie and Sue Chef. Morning. (laughs) Thank you. Got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got fall fertilizer that I haven't put down yet. Is it too late? For the lawn? Yeah. Oh, no, you got last time. Okay, yep. now, same question, so it's not a second one. Nope. <laughs> um, I put down some grass seed. Some mm. of it's germinated, some mm. of it hasn't. Mm. Will the fall fertilizer do anything bad to that? Yeah, so w- when did you put the grass seed down? Oh, some of it was about three weeks ago, and that's germinated, mm-hmm. but I put some other stuff down about 10 days ago, and yeah. it may be coming up, maybe not. Yet. Yeah, so wait a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, the very, very young seedlings, uh, I try to avoid fertilizing with full, uh, you know, hit of fertilizer just because it can be sh- too much for them to handle. And you can f- um, apply fall lawn fertilizer right up until middle of November, you know, third week of November, no problem. Oh, outstanding. And that won't yeah. cause the grass to grow, so i got to cut it. Again. <laughs> well, exactly not, because by that time, things are so slowed down. Then it what, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're, you are feeding, and it's a really good time to feed our plants. Many of our, our trees, our shrubs, our evergreens, our lawns, they love that fall feeding because they're not going to actually absorb a ton of it. They'll, they'll, some of it will have an impact, but a lot of it will just be there in the spring as soon as they're ready to, gr- to grow. Boom. Fertilizers yeah. there to support them. Outstanding. One okay. last project for me today. There you go. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> okay. I know the feeling. I'm still sitting on my lawn fertilizer, too, because I did a lot of seeding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Steve. A yeah. pleasure. And uh, I can't believe it. Uh, we're going from one first-time caller to another this wow. morning. Yeah, in Richmond Hill. That's for you, Corinne. Nice yeah. to have you on the air. Hi, hi. Welcome. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Frank, it's my first time calling. Yeah. Like said, and I have a question about my anthurium plant. Mm-hmm. I've had it for ten years. Wow. 
It's uh, third time blooming, mm-hmm. but I've noticed on the leaves tiny little white dots, not on all the leaves, but on many. And especially if I ever get a new leaf along the stem of the new leaf and especially on the new leaf. Now, I've been wiping them off with uh, white Kleenex, but is there, first of all, do you know what it is and how can I stop it from happening? Like, how can yeah. I? So it is something that you can wipe off. Yes. And it's small and it's white. Does it look like a little tiny um, piece of cotton, like a kind of a fuzzy yes. white? Tiny, tiny, tiny. A friend of mine said they're eggs, but I don't see any bugs. So you know what you should do? Google something called mealy bug. So M-E-A-L-Y. So meal with a Y. Bug. Mealy bug. Uh, Take a look at images of mealy bug. See if that is what you've got on the plant. If you've had that plant that long something has come into your house that was carrying mealybug. It's a very slow-moving insect. Uh, the only way they really um, jump from, from plant to plant is when the plants are touching. Okay. So if, if, say, you know, at Easter a lily came in or a poinsettia at Christmas came in and it was close to the anthurium and it had mealybug on it, it could have transferred across. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy insect to kill. So first identify and see if that's what it is. Okay. Uh, if that's what it is, then uh, you can, and if, you're, and if it's not what it is, take a photograph. You can always email me a photo, uh, as close up as you can possibly get that's still in focus. And, um, and I'll take a look and see what I can recommend for you. Okay. And what's your email, Charlie? Oh, yeah, I'll give it to you right now. Okay. okay. Sure. It is C dot Dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. Is that okay? All right. Great. Okay. Thanks for your call. Indeed. Don't be a stranger. Thanks, that's call, nice. Call any time. Boy, I'm telling you, it's, uh, we have Punch more. up people with wings today. I know. And it's perfect. You know, you do get your wings <laughs> when you get the bell. That's and right. And then the wind. Think yeah, think I, of how far these people can travel today. We it's got amazing. We've got more callers, more first-time callers Woo! waiting online. And uh, we'll be to you uh, very, very shortly. Uh, Charlie, I know you had a couple of meetings you wanted to get on the air there. So let's take just a moment before our next break here to oh, do that. You okay? are such a good organizer. Oh, I know. All right, a couple things going on tomorrow. One is the Ontario Rock Garden and Hardy Plant Society meeting at the Toronto Botanical Gardens, 777 Lawrence Avenue East in Don Mills. It's a special double meeting and plant sale. Plant sale from these people is amazing. They have some of the most cool plants going. So if you can get to this, definitely do. There will be a presentation by Peter Korn, a Swedish horticulturalist. He's presenting two talks. The first one's at 10.30 a.m. called Learning from the Wild. And the second talk is at 1.30 p.m. And it's entitled Construction, Design, and Plant Selection for Rock Gardens. So that's all very, very good. The plant sale's at 12.30. So Toronto Botanical Gardens tomorrow. All right. And just before we take a break, uh, a quick note that we've got a couple of lines open right now. Very unusual indeed. Mm-hmm. So you can uh, contact Charlie, get on the air with us. One, uh, pardon me, uh, 416-360-0740 in Toronto. Anywhere else in the province, toll free, one 740 4740 And we'll return to a number of first-time callers yeah. in just a couple of moments. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. 
Well, Charlie, uh, we have been uh, the recipients of uh, many first-time callers I this morning. I know. Everybody's got great questions and, today. And I'm going to go for a little pronunciation guide here. I hope I'm saying the name properly. Nihal in Brampton. Welcome. Did I get the name right? Yes, you get what the name right. Okay, that's great. Nihal. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. I enjoy your show, and I always wait for the show in the morning, on Saturday morning. <laughs> great. Uh, thank you. That's fun. Your email address is c.darbin at mbzmedia.com. Am that, I correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah, right. My problem is uh, my pear tree, I saw the leaves have sort of yellow spots, and mm. then underneath, there are about four bubbles. It starts growing, and then from the bubbles, you get small sort of uh, uh, things coming out, like, you know, uh, uh, some small wires-like thing coming comes out. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went through uh, Internet, and I saw the same thing in the Internet, mm -hmm. and uh, it was basically suggesting uh, sort of a baking soda, cooking oil, liquid soap, and to sort of uh, spray that, and to get rid of all the leaves, and also uh, collect all the leaves, mm -hmm. the bottom that's fallen, mm -hmm. And um, I, I was wondering whether you could give me some advice. Okay, so this, this is a really, really good point you're bringing up. So it's a pear tree. Is it a pear or a peach? No, it's, I'm sorry, I mentioned peach. I was so excited when I got the <laughs> <laughs> So, you, you know, you and, and many other homeowners have a dream of going out to the garden with a big bushel basket in your hand and, and harvesting, you know, basket loads of wonderful, fresh, homegrown, sweet-tasting fruit. And that's great. However, fruit trees are quite a responsibility. They keep, remember that if they're going to produce all that sweet fruit, they've got a lot of sweetness in the trees, moving up and down through the leaves and the stems and the branches, and that makes them very, very tasty to other things, uh -huh. like insects and fungal diseases. Sure. So... What, I would not recommend a homemade recipe of cooking oil and baking soda as a way to control insects. But you're absolutely right. Number one, when it comes to fruit trees, good garden hygiene. So as the leaves are falling off the fruit trees this fall, you must collect them and you must remove them from the property because there's often eggs and spores attached to those leaves. So good garden hygiene. Pruning in early spring pruning for an open canopy so that there'll be good air and light penetrating through the, the canopy of the trees during the growing season helps to keep them healthy. And going to your local garden center, picking up something called a dormant spray kit. Dormant spray kit is a box. Inside are two bottles. One bottle is horticultural oil, so it's a lightweight oil. The other bottle is a liquid called lime sulfur. Very good directions on the package. You'll need a hose and you'll need a hose end sprayer or some kind of a sprayer to mix these two liquids together with water and spray as per recommendations. You can spray in the fall. You definitely should spray in the spring when the plants are dormant and very much dependent on town weather that day. We avoid frost, we avoid wind, and we avoid uh, rain shortly thereafter with spraying. So you got to work with the, the, the day in terms of the weather, but the dormant spray kit is one of the best tools in the arsenal of any home fruit tree grower. It's the best, most preventative uh, spray out there for you to be able to use to avoid bugs and diseases on your crop. All right? used, uh, Charlie, mm -hmm. uh, before the, uh, the flowering. 
Exactly. When the plant must be dormant when you spray. Uh, so remember the way it works with fruit trees. The leaves will start to emerge first. The flowers emerge shortly thereafter. So you must do your spraying before the leaves and before the flowers. You can spray after the flowers with just the uh, lime sulfur if you need to because there is summer instructions on the box as well but your first spray is when the plants are dormant so that you're pruning usually in late February early March and you're applying dormant spray usually in April depending on weather okay right, thank you very much for you're, the advice you're well, very thank you welcome. for joining us here on the, yes, uh, thank the garden you. show and you know what I there, there's a very mm-hmm. good where is it here I'm actually right at it so if you go to OMAFRA so mm-hmm. the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture Food and Rural Affairs right. or, or even what I did is I what did I Google here I think I googled pe- I just I just put in peach tree pests Ontario so we even just put in fruit tree pests Ontario and one of the first things that comes up is a very good fact sheet called fruit trees in the home garden Ontario it is put out by Omafra and it's a full you know multi-page fact sheet that is just got great information if that helps you and anybody else out there okay uh, 948 on the garden show and just before we take our next little break here did you want to squeeze one more announcement or did you have another one to get in there no, you, you covered everything off. Well, there, you know what? There's one. It's kind of a fun one. Um, this is from one of our listeners whose name is Vanessa. Okay. She was calling from Brampton. Or sorry, write, wrote me an email from Brampton and sent a bunch of photographs. She said, two weeks ago, while coming home from grocery shopping, I saw a jade plant at the end of a driveway. It had a free sign on it. I slammed on the brakes <laughs> and went and knocked on the door. <laughs> it was true, as they had no more room for her. She's a girl, this jade plant. They were given her as a housewarming present 14 years ago and the homeowners think she was about 10 to 15 years old at that time wow. so in her pot she stands four feet tall and four feet wide so this is a very big jade plant and actually very nicely grown you can tell it's been in perfect conditions uh it's very um short and compact mm-hmm. the, the stems on it are you know multi inches across uh, so Vanessa has her in a bay window that faces east, and she's just not sure about the watering and fertilizer and all that important stuff. So here's the scoop, Vanessa. Do not even attempt to transplant that plant, It's particularly now. If you're going to do any kind of repotting, next spring is when you would do it, and you'll have 10 friends to help you do it because it's a very big plant to, to handle. Um, number two, if your I hope if your eastern window is your brightest window, then stay w- there. Mm. But if you have a brighter window, preferably a western window or southern window, that would be better because that will help that plant. It needs lots and lots of sun. And do not fertilize at all right now. Think about fertilizing next spring, once a month at the most. And watering, same thing. Right now, once a month at the most. And how much water? Eh, you probably were going to give four, six cups, even more, maybe eight cups of water, room temperature water, but at the most once a month. Oh, okay? Hope that good. helps. And if Rebecca has to lift that tree all by herself, no, yeah. uh, it, you don't She's, do that. because No, it, she said she weighs a ton. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And immediately, the sous chef of the garden reaches for the bell. Woo! 
Hey, there we are. Another garden uh, wings. Yes, indeed. Have First time caller, Mary in St. Catharines. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Morning. Uh, we enjoy your show very much. Thank you. I have uh, four different plants that I'm bringing in that have been out all summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is a Christmas cactus, mm. and I don't want it to bloom before Christmas. Hmm. Uh, right now I have it in a window, and I'm not sure if that's what I should do. So wait, is it outside right now? Uh, no, we've brought it in. Oh, you've brought all these plants in. Okay. Well, the others aren't in yet. <laughs> okay, I'd be putting that Christmas cactus back out if I were you. Oh, really? Yeah, if you because it probably has buds on it now, doesn't it? No, not yet. Okay, so put it back outside. <laughs> that's what's going to make the buds happen. Oh, Christmas really? cactus needs cool temperatures, and it can even take a light frost. And it loves those shorter days, because as our days are getting shorter, Christmas cactus responds. But it's temperature that it particularly responds to. I've had this since 1974. Wow. That is something. It was my husband's grandmother's. Wow. Good for you. So, And has it flowered pretty consistently for you? Yes, it has. Okay. Just not always on Christmas, sometimes before. Well, that's the challenge with the the Christmas cactus. So the the only way to slow it down is to cool it down. Okay. All right. And but like I said, if you get it outside, uh, like, see, I have I keep them in my bedroom and my bedroom window is open every night. Right. And uh, mine are covered in buds right now. But well, I we know have a real cool, dark room that I could put it in. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the dark part. Uh, is it dark, dark during the day as well? Yes. Yeah. It won't be happy and dark during the day. Okay. That's fine. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I, mine are covered in buds right now, and I'm sure they'll be blooming in the next three weeks. It, okay. It's very hard to get, for me uh, yeah. to get them to bloom okay, at Christmas. And the other, um, I have a clerodendron, uh-huh. a bougainvillea, uh-huh. and hibiscus. Yep. And they're all huge. Yeah, yeah. And I have to trim them back. Is yeah. this the best time to do it, and how much can I? Oh, you can trim. You can trim up to a third off. A third off. Yeah, the drag of trimming now is you're going to lose some flowers. Uh huh. Um, but if you have to trim, you have to trim. There's no way around it. Well, so, the hibiscus is about five feet tall. Yeah, and probably five feet wide. Feet, so. <laughs> so yeah, so trim. You know, you, you, that's always the challenge. They they. What you really want to do with these tropical plants is give them a very hard pruning in the spring. In the spring. Yeah, March or April, you want to cut them back, you know, by a half. And then when they grow over the summer, it's okay. They're a a reasonable size at the end of the summer. You can bring them in and not trim them at that time. Okay. So you trim now because you have to just to get them in the door and, of course, lose (laughs) some flowers along the way. And then the the challenge is, is do a really hard pruning in the spring. Okay. No fertilizer now, as much sun as you can, only water as required, and start fertilizing again in the spring. Okay. Okay. They're in a, a bright room with both west and south windows. Per- perfect. So. Happy plants. Yeah. Good Thank stuff. you, Mary. Okay, Mary, thanks for joining us here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Hey, in Mount Hope, there is Alice. Good morning, Alice. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. I have a question. I have a rose of Sharon, mm-hmm. and it's probably six to seven feet tall mm-hmm. so it's kind of getting out of proportion mm-hmm. should i trim it back now or in the spring i would trim it in the spring in the spring yeah i leave i leave things alone most of the time in the fall unless there's some reason it's interfering with traffic flow of people on your property or it's likely to damage itself whipping around in the wind uh i tried to do all my pruning in the spring because you can really see what you're doing in the okay. spring uh remember you know rose of sharon are one of the last shrubs to break out uh, with growth right. so you've got lots of time in the spring to, to work on trimming it down and trimming it so that its growth will be to the an outside bud okay 
Okay. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Ellis. Thank you. And don't be a stranger. Well, <laughs> actually, she's not a first-time caller. Uh, so I know. Hey, she's obviously not. seriously. Not <laughs> <laughs> feeling right. strange at all. Somebody else knocking on the door from Brentford. It's Tom. Good morning, Tom. <laughs> oh, good, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have four clematis plants and really a vibrant... But I can't get plants that flowers to grow down to near the bottom of the plant. Mm-hmm. Everything is growing from about three, three and a half feet, and then it flowers and the foliage starts. But it's bare from there down, and I've seen some beautiful clematis mm. where the flowers go right to the floor. So are these what we call summer flowering clematis? So they've got big sort of star-shaped flat flowers? Yes. Yeah. So <clears throat> and some, of them are, some of them are the, the ones that are... Yeah, they've got, they've got the two flowers, the two varieties on the one plant. Nice. Okay, so do you prune these plants? Uh, I used to, but when I pruned them, I didn't get very good results. And then when I started to leave them alone and waited till spring, and I seen which stems were dead and which ones were alive, and then cut them then. Mm. And But when I, I, I cut them right back in the fall, um, the showing in the spring and summer wasn't all that great. Okay, so... If you still have the names of those clematis, uh, sometimes people are able to hold on to the variety names and sometimes they lose them. But it, it sounds like, I mean, every clematis is different. That's why I'm asking. Yes. You can search them out by name to find out when to prune which one. But uh-huh. if they all fit into that category of summer flowering and they're not spring flowering or fall flowering, uh, what I would do is leave them alone in the fall, let them be brown and scraggly all winter. In the spring, when the buds are starting to fatten up and the, the buds are little little fuzzy, they look like little mouse ears, they're just gray, fuzzy little buds showing on, on any of the, the stems, I get out my chainsaw or my pruners and I just go right through and cut all my clematis down to about 10 inches tall. Wow. All of it, just goes into a bag and then you encourage lots of new growth and you have a much thicker vine growing from the base Mm -hmm. you'll have obviously foliage from the base and you should have flowering from the base if sun can get right down to the to there well that's new to me i didn't realize that i didn't think you did that yeah but thank you very much appreciate that you're very welcome yeah Yeah, i was just saying be careful because clematis tends to be very brittle so you want to when you're trimming just trim and then step away Look at that. We've got to put the wraps on things. Uh, mm. Our time is rapidly I just want to give out. a quick shout-out to yes. Wendy and her Tai Chi group. Okay. Uh, they are, I ran into Wendy this past week, and uh, we were talking all about fava beans and, uh, and growing them indoors at this time of year. So uh, I understand that they're listeners, so a big hello from Frank and I. Well, there you are. And Hi, And I'm off to a very interesting movie today called The Seeds, Seed of the Untold Story. All right. Report on that next uh, week. Art Gallery today. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.